Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Welcome to Baptism Sunday. Let's give all the, all the believers getting baptized today another round of applause. My son, who is nine years old, also asked to be baptized. So just know we didn't force him into it and then actually wrote his script. He actually wrote his own script, and he said he was adamant about doing it his way. Um, he looks like me, so don't get confused. That's me when I was nine. But, yeah, it's Baptism Sunday. So let's put that picture up of baptism. Um, and I want to give you a moment uh, as we do. Today's different. I'm not going to be given a message, which is about 25 minutes long. That's sort of our timeline. If you go over 25 minutes, we do that Oscar music in the back. If you can't say something in 25 minutes, you really don't know what you're talking about. TED Talk is 15. I've done one, and it's 15 uh, at Wheaton College, and they literally buzz you out. But uh, today's called the homily. Homily is a 10-minute summary of introducing. The the meat of the message is the living letters of, of Josh, my son, who is nine, Jonathan, and Christina, that will tell their stories about their journey with Christ and the acclamation of making a public declaration of faith to the family of God. So let's practice the rule of life and practice solitude and silence and center ourselves right now. Will you bow your heads? And I want to give you a moment to center your spirit so you can hear what God might explicitly or implicitly speak to you today about. So let's exhale. For all the baptism class who's scared about reading up here, public speaking is like, you know, second to death of fear. So let empower you. All the anxieties, all the toxicities, all the concerns, let's lay it before the feet of the Lord and let's inhale the grace, amazing grace in the presence of God that's palpable today, that's here with us. And all God's people pray. Amen. So, it's baptism. This is my favorite Sunday of the year, remotely when we do these services, because it reminds us of many of the people that give and volunteer and sacrifice why this institution called the church exists. And why we do what we do. And one of the dads asked me, it's your favorite? What about baby baptisms? I was like, stop competing with salvation and dedication. He's like, I like, I like them both. It was Andrew Lee, actually. He was jealous. And I said, stay in your lane. But it's, it's my favorite because it, it brings to central focus why we're here in the city for the greater good of the city. 
to invite everyone into a relationship with God. Sometimes inadvertently, sometimes directly. And how our stories intermingle in in serendipitous ways. It's my favorite. And I pray today that the stories that you hear, whether it's from a nine-year-old or someone in their mid-20s, as engineers in American Express and Google, ooh, Google and American Express, can I get a discount on my platinum card? <laughs> but that it would intersect, it would maybe even answer your questions, those watching online or here in person, about your own faith journey and where you might be and the steps you need to take to make that final uh, place to be baptized or remind you where you might be. And our stories are never finished. But let me tell you honestly, when I was a kid, let's put this picture up here, I didn't really like sacraments when I was growing up in the Methodist church. I just thought the robes were silly. Why, are, why is a man wearing a dress? You know, it just didn't compute to me. I thought that the sacraments, communion particularly, took too long. Why are they waiting for every single person? Especially when I went to adult services, it was just like humdrum, mundane, and dull. And I just didn't appreciate the traditions of the church. I just thought, where's the novelty? Where's the miracles, you know? Where's the good stuff in the Bible? Like, where's the demon possession? I wish there was a demon possession right now in the middle of service. It would prove to everybody God exists. That would be a really great proof of that. Where are the signs and the wonders? And into my early 20s, that's what I began to pursue, the signs and wonders, the novelty of the the charismata, the gifts of the Spirit, prophecy, tongues. Now that's cool. That's supernatural. That's what would grab your attention. And I've been through all of it 20 years later. I'm going to be wearing a robe as a doctor of the church commencing the tradition that's been happening for 2,000 years. Why reinvent the wheel? At these moments, there are three, there are three sacraments, baptism, wedding, and a funeral. You kind of can't do alone. You need the body. Tell someone you need the body. You can certainly take for granted this institution because you might have grown up in it, or it's just there at every corner. But when you experience the amazing grace of God, and it really sinks in, and you understand that the cross and and Jesus' blood shed for you is not only your Savior, but your Creator, the Creator of the universe and the cosmos, in your own purpose, in your own story, it is daunting, sobering. And I felt like that for many years, chasing signs rather than the sacraments. You see, people focus a lot on worship and preaching because they're, they're about talent, Right? I remember going to church and we, we had our own favorite worship leaders at the church in youth group. It's like a caste system. You know, the worship leaders with the hot, hot people. That's why I became a worship leader. I wanted to be high on the ladder, you know what I'm saying? It's just like junior high school or high school. And, uh, it, and when someone that couldn't really sing 
led worship, it was like, what is that guy doing? See, sometimes preaching and worship, they're, just, they're actually a distraction. They become personality driven. And that's sometimes celebrity rises if you're really good at it. And then we begin to compare. Well, this person's not good as this person. This sermon is not good as that other sermon or that other intellectual pastor or that spiritual, inspirational pastor. And everybody starts to focus not on God collectively, but on the personality of people. And I've seen it all. And I've seen pastors fall, worship leaders do horrific things. In the end, tell someone next to you, humans are broken. And sometimes they shine up here. They're funny, or they have a really great voice. But if you saw them in real life, they're just clay, frail and broken like you. And if you put your hope in a personality, you're going to lose your faith. That's why the sacraments have not changed for 2000. They're not based on a personality. They're based on what we call in this picture a liturgy. We collectively have to, it's an imperative, go directly to God, not a preacher, not someone who represents God, but God himself. And those three things you will remember. But I took it for granted, and some of us could take it for granted. G.K. Chesterton said this in his renowned and prolific book, Orthodoxy, which C.S. Lewis read that particularly helped him come to Christ. And this is what he says. Let me just read it for you so we can appreciate this tradition and really appreciate the sanctity and the sacredness of this moment. That's what he says. No one can think my case more ludicrous than I think it myself. No reader can accuse me here of trying to make a fool of him I am the fool of this story. Tell someone next to you, I am the fool of this story. Chesterton is saying, I'm, you can't accuse me of trying to make you a fool. I am the fool of this story. And no rebel shall hurl me from the throne. When I fancied that I stood alone, I was really in the ridiculous position of being backed by all Christendom. It may be, heaven forgive me, that I tried to be original but I only succeeded in inventing all by myself in an inferior copy of the existing traditions of civilized religion. The man from the yacht that he, he was the first to find England, I thought I was the first to find Europe. I did try to find a heresy of my own. And when I put the final touches to it, I discovered that it was orthodoxy. There may, may or may be not some entertainment in reading how I found at last in an anarchist club or a Babylon temple, what I might have found in the nearest parish church. There is a resurgence to the sacraments in Korean dramas. Watch a Korean drama. They don't show you the Pentecostal assemblies or Hillsong worship. They show you people going to a cathedral or a chapel or a church Sometimes, in doing the sacraments, people are returning back to liturgy because man is messing up too much for us to trust it. And they're returning to the collective prayer 
in the traditions of the church because they want to go directly to God. Forget novelty. Forget trying to be cool or hip or what's flamboyant or what's attractive. Let's remember the sacred, not reinvent the wheel, and go back to the imperative. Jesus told every single person to be baptized if you want to be a Christian. It's not like in Western civilization. Faith is not biblically a private matter. Oh, I, you know, private. I just think to myself. I don't even pray out loud. I think my prayers. Now, biblical framework is that community and Christianity are inseparable. You cannot do faith alone. Tell someone, you can't do faith alone. You know that, but sometimes in the collision of immorality and the collapse of trust in institutions, sometimes it just seems like, hey, I, just, I should just watch a podcast, put some worship on, and I could just, you know, then I don't even need to tithe. Go on vacation with that, and I'll do some science in, in Hawaii. But that would be heretical. Because the Bible makes it very clear community is an imperative. It's imperative. So let's go to this passage. I'm just going to read quickly. So the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of what? Witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders us, and sin that so easily entangles us. The great cloud of witnesses. This institution, imperfect as it is, this movement that Jesus started, was here way before us, and will be here way after us. But the writer of Hebrews is instructing us one reality about faith. What is that? Quick, two quick points here. First, read it with me. Community is what? It's imperative. Today, when we baptize our brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm not baptizing my son as my son, but as a brother in Christ. Well, some people do say I look like his brother. I mean, I look kind of young. It's the Holy Spirit. And we are baptizing them into the family of God that's not related or united by human will or human blood, by the, but by the blood shed on the cross for us. Amen? And we're inviting them into that collective, the great cloud of witnesses. That's sobering and beautiful. What I once thought was humdrum, I realize now, is sacred. And I pray that your families and your friends experience that collective and that power together again. So that's the first imperative. Second, the second imperative is in this text. Why 
The question is not, should you be baptized? Because it's not an option if you're a Christian. Well, where, where, where should I be baptized? Who can I ask to be baptized? Those are the wrong questions. Jesus didn't suggest for his disciples to baptize people. Oh, yeah, if they, you know, like water, don't like water. Ask them before, you know, if they want, you know, filtered water or just tap water. You know, all these kind of references. Maybe soda. I mean, Jesus didn't give options. This is not commercialism, and it's not a business. This is discipleship. The biblical framework of Christianity and discipleship happens in the Lordship of Christ. The Lordship of Christ. Therefore, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the what? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded to you. <clears throat> Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Teaching and baptizing are imperatives grammatically. They're not optional. For every Christian, faith then is no longer private, it's public. You're making a public declaration you're part of the collective and that you're inheriting the weightiness of the faith from the past. And that's what we're doing today. And that's why, secondly, read it with me, baptism, what? is imperative. It's not the culmination of faith, it's rather the inauguration. It's the beginning of one's public journey. Doesn't solve all your problems, which you'll read about. I read the stories, they're very funny, heartwarming, and powerful. So, will you stand with me today as we welcome our brothers and sisters that are going to be baptized? They could come to the front. All the Sunday school kids could come in because they want to see Josh being baptized. They're all going to want to be baptized next week. And we're going to read a letter in a minute. And if uh, the small groups and Kago and Joey, who, who's been with the group, can you guys come just to pray with the group? The small groups could come um, to pray with our brothers and sisters. So Nathan, you can pray for your brother. You could come down. That's my 14-year-old son. Let's pray together. Guys, would you have to come down to pray with the people? So can you come to this side? Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today as we dedicate our brothers and sisters to Christ and to the family of God. We pray that your presence would be palpable. 
and we'll think about all that you've done. And we pray that your presence would be felt. And we think about the Lord. And we'll sing this song and we'll go into it. When I think about the Lord. When I think about the Lord. How he saved me. How he saved How he raised me. How he raised me. With the Holy Ghost. With the Holy Ghost. How he healed me. He to the uttermost. To the uttermost. When I think about when the Lord. I think about the Lord. How he picked me up. And turned me around. Turned me around. How he set my feet. My feet. On solid ground. On solid ground. Makes me want to shout. Makes me want to shout. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy. Of all the glory. All the glory. And all the honor. And all the praise. So, Father, when we think about all you've done and all that you will do and that all you are doing, we thank you, Father. Family, this is why you wake up early in the morning and carry heavy equipment. This is why you lug back and forth every week in, week in out. All those excruciating people that have to do the announcements every week giving the same things to the same people. All the humdrum, all the mundane things that you do week in, week out, in tradition and routine. You know why? Because not everybody knows Jesus. Not everybody has heard the gospel. And if they heard it, it might not yet hit home. And that's why we do what we do. I want to thank all our community for giving to this mission, for sacrificing your time, for giving your resources and your hearts to the mission of the kingdom. Remember today when you hear these stories, that's why you do what you do. That's why we're here. Today, we're going to start with the youngest. Here's my son, Josh. The Bible tells us in one occasion, comparing what salvation is like, Jesus said, you have to become like a child. In another occasion, Jesus said, you have to be born again. If salvation can be compared to maternity and puberty, salvation is going to be something of a mess. And that's the church. The church raises spiritual babies and their brokenness and their rebellion, and that's okay. The story starts here, but it doesn't end here. Josh, are you ready to read your story? Are you a little bit nervous? Yeah. <laughs>
Let me to hold it for you? Okay. Can you, can you put the mic? One day I said to my parents, Mom, Dad, why is Nathan baptized and I'm not? <laughs> my parents replied saying they've been waiting uh, for me to make the decision. So I said, yeah, I want to be baptized. <laughs> when they told me to write a letter for Sunday, I kind of got shy and scared because I thought they were asking me to preach a whole sermon. <laughs> I realized that I look like my dad, but I can't preach a sermon like him. By the way, my dad made me say this. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're thinking. What does a nine-year-old know about God? In fact, just a little more than you think. My friend Taylor asked me about God. He gets scared when I mention him, mention God, so I just say it's a joke. <laughs> he always says not to say the bad words like Jesus Christ. And I said, why? He said, because you will go to hell if you say that. I said back to him, dude, I love Jesus Christ because he is my savior. Preach. He still doesn't get it. I learned in Sunday school that Jesus got nailed to the cross for my sins. And I learned more stories like, uh, for example, Adam and Eve and all that nice good Bible stuff. <laughs> And one day, my brother and my mom asked me if I wanted to make a decision to follow Christ. My brother said, think very hard. And I answered, yes, I want to be baptized. I know what Jesus did for me. And then my dad, mom, brother, even if this counts, but my dog, Brownie, came. Me prayed for me, and I accepted Jesus into my heart. And when I prayed, Jesus, I'm not perfect. Please let me follow you and gave my life to him. Amen. Are you, are you after my job? Kind of awkward with the pandemic. I guess mine's not going to be as cheerful, but <laughs> I guess I'll start. Um, but, all right. Here, maybe this will be easier. Yeah, there you go. Hello? Yep, you're good. All right. wanted to travel the world as a kid well good thing you didn't it's <laughs> not as fun as it's cracked up to be I moved around a lot as a kid to five different schools in two and a half years just when you thought you were settling down you land in a different environment new faces new places and didn't make many friends during those years which may have had an effect on me by the time third grade came around though I had stopped moving this is where the story starts. My introduction to Jesus was fairly typical. I had moved to the States to live with my parents and one day they were like, hey kid, wanna go to church? <laughs> Except if in a different tone and in Chinese, but the next thing I knew I was on the car to this thing called church. Cars came and passed by, trees came and passed by, and then this daunting building came but didn't pass by. Oh, our church is always this scary looking. Except I was too nervous to ask that question. My parents ushered me to the other kids, the youth group that first Friday night, I just stood at the door. I had no social confidence back then. A psychologist would say there are many factors that led to this. Uh, maybe it's because I moved around so much. Uh, I didn't make many meaningful connections as a child. Maybe it's because I'm still adapting to the strange 
American environment, who knows, it's also partially my personality. And unfortunately, the youth group didn't help. Don't get me wrong, uh, during the sessions, they taught the biblical story, uh, had us working together on projects, but the kids already had cliques, and to an outsider, it was great learning together, but that's just it. Uh, I was an outsider. Afterwards, when the kids would play together, I would slink off alone, uh, as Evan Hansen from the Broadway musical would say, no slipping up if you <laughs> slip away. <laughs> uh, sorry off trying to find my parents and bugging them to go home early, but most of the time they just want to socialize with the other parents. Uh, that took time, time I had to spend alone. So later on, I imagined I was John Wang, river explorer extraordinaire, <laughs> and would follow the creek in the woods around the church, blazing new trails in the dead of the night, conquering the darkness, the unknown, nay, the unfathomable. That is, until my parents got tired of socializing. Then I became the shy kid again. I never found community within the church. I eventually stopped going. I do not recall the exact day I came to Christ. I was still going to the same church at the time. I recall one day coming back from the church with a colorful pamphlet that had a clear message. Do this to be saved. I want to be saved, thought I, and follow the pamphlet, praying for salvation and accepting Jesus as my Savior. I, I don't remember doing much deliberating. If God were real, then Jesus died for us, and how cool would I be to just reject Him? Plus, I had thought at the time, if you died wrongly after believing, you're just dead. Uh, if you died <laughs> wrongly after rejecting Christ, you're not only dead, your soul will be subject to fire and brimstone. <laughs> and that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> I suppose I should thank the church of my youth for delivering this message. And you know what? I am somewhat grateful. My acceptance of this message of salvation by grace, despite how painful it became to attend church, while it is indeed a testament to how much of an impressionable kid I was, it is also a testament to how powerful the message was. Of course, this was just the start of a journey to explore what it truly means to live a Christian life. My leaving of the church marked the start of the next part of my faith journey, which I would take mostly alone. During this time, I still prayed and read the Bible and ask questions about my belief in God. Given that I social distance myself away from the church, it may seem strange that I still believe. The reasoning I had when I was young had evolved into two main reasons. One was from a scientific perspective. If I, I could not accept that life was produced by random chance. Life is too complex, too difficult, too fragile. Scientists have discovered thousands of planets. None of them have the conditions to sustain even the simplest of living organisms. The fact that all of this was orchestrated seemed much more believable. The other was from a philosophical perspective. I refuse to believe that life was meaningless. What, we're here just to exist? What's the point in that? If that was all to life, humanity might as well just focus on reproducing. Multiply like flies. <laughs> Or what was even the point in that? If humanity were gone, Earth would still be here. And flies, well, you better believe they'd still be here. We can't get them out of our homes as it is. We must be here for a reason. About that reason, seems everyone wants to have purpose in life. 
What makes Christianity different? This I did not explore until later, but God's purpose is fundamentally about love and sacrifice, not fear or coercion. That's what makes it special. As Matthew 22, 37-39 puts it, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus so loved us that he not only came to earth for us to live like a mere mortal, but sacrificed himself on the cross for us. I felt alienated by the church, but held on to the message of God. Things changed during undergrad at Columbia. It was the beginning of my third year, and I decided to be more social, join more clubs, and thus signed up for a bio course at a Christian club called CFA. Given my history with the church, I had low expectations, but they didn't just care to teach me about Christ, they cared about me as a person. Because we didn't just talk about scripture, we talked about college life, classroom struggles, and casual things as well. For example, one Bible course, I recall asking about what the black specks were in the certain water pitch filter picture we were using, and a certain biology expert telling me that it was protein. Just to let you all know, whatever those black specks were, they were most certainly not protein. <laughs> Whether it's the little things like hanging out or homemade cookies or something slightly more elaborate like getting the resident church a cappella group to sing for me, these made a difference. And I started to realize that the people you spend time with learning about Christ didn't have to be strangers. They can be good friends. And this extended further, small group after I graduated, and later on at Stanford as well. And this brings me to 180. I was very methodical about finding churches when I returned to NYC from Stanford. Four weeks, a different church every week, and I was searching for a church in which community was important. 180 was the fourth church, and when 180 invited me to lunch after church my first time here, I had a feeling I found one. Why don't you share more? This was a question posed to me in one of my first small groups here, and it made me reflect on my journey. My experiences, especially with the church, had made me take an attitude of self-reliance, uh, that if I wanted to be a good person, someone not ostracized to the wilds of river exploration, <laughs> others should not be burdened with my problems. While I've since been shown much kindness from fellow Christians, I still felt pressure to keep many things secret. You know, I had a hard time writing this uh, testimony, uh, not because I haven't written speeches before, but because how personal this is and how exposed I feel. Uh, but 180 has come to make me realize that sometimes it's not only okay, but the right thing to do to share experiences because we don't want to build a culture where everyone hides their problems and appears perfect on the outside. We want to build one in which people can feel comfortable telling the truth and feel supported by their peers. And it doesn't just benefit the person doing the sharing, others can relate to the experiences, learn from them, or even feel inspired to share their own. As Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 puts it, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Why don't you share more? My small group facilitator had asked. 
will everyone here actually want to listen to my life, even my struggles? I responded. You can ask around, but sure, we'd all be happy to. And everyone agreed. I guess I'll work on it. And today I'm still working on what it means to be part of a community. But I made progress, and I'm not alone. I've heard many here recount how 180 invested in them, despite their many problems. And hearing about their accomplishments now, I, I was always inspired by how far they've become. Come, rather, <laughs> despite still working on their problems, community builds you up, helps you find confidence. It certainly helped me find mine because everyone will have tough times, times where they feel exhausted, alone, stressed out, deprived. For some, it may even lead to depression and suicide. And having people there to support you makes a huge difference. This is true, whether you're a Christian or not. So、uh, here I am today, ready to be baptized. To publicly declare my faith in God, perhaps 15 years after I first accepted Christ as my Savior, it's been a long journey and it's not over yet. After all, I'm still a sinful man. I still lack confidence at times, and I still make mistakes. That's why I need Jesus. But perhaps the most important theme of the journey is how important love is for God and for each other. It's not just about reading doctrine and following rules. It's about caring about each other. Is a fundamental thing of being a Christian as well, and that's a purpose I can believe in. Thank you. Thanks, John. I think John was preaching there. I mean, <laughs> Heard about Jesus when I was five years old. It wasn't through my family, who wasn't and still isn't religious at all. It was through our neighbor across the street, where I grew up in Texas, a woman by the name of Billy Sue Cooper. Billy Sue is as Texan as they come. She calls me her adopted granddaughter. She makes and drinks her own sweet iced tea, and to this day, she keeps the front door to her house unlocked, <laughs> so friends and family can just waltz right in. Surprisingly, my Chinese immigrant parents were completely okay with this unfamiliar Texan woman taking me to all these unfamiliar activities, <laughs> like Sunday school and Bible study, for hours at a time every week. But back then, both of my parents worked until late at night, so I rarely got to see them, and I instead spent a lot of time at Billy Sue's house. For a while, Billy Sue and her husband were my family, in lieu of my parents. When I was seven years old, my parents separated, and my dad moved out. Now that we were reliant on a single parent's income, my mom had to work even longer hours. I was very fortunate to have Billy Sue and a best friend who lived on the next street over, but still, the early years of my life were really lonely. All throughout elementary school and for most of middle school, I absentmindedly went with Billy Sue to a local Baptist church, where I heard sermon after sermon about God's wrath and intolerance for sin, <laughs> but very little about love and redemption. I learned that Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice was for all of us, because all of us were broken. But when I looked at the people around me at church, I didn't see much brokenness. I saw only rigidity and rules, and I heard only gossip and shame when someone fell short of conforming to the rules. On the other hand, in myself, all I could see was brokenness: my parents' broken marriage, 
my feelings of inadequacy, and my intense desire for things that seemed so incongruent with life within the confines of church. Nothing I learned at church led me to believe that God would care or even want to hear about my seemingly insignificant hurts and longings. Instead, I decided that if God did exist, I'd be very fearful of him and I'd rather not have a relationship with him at all. Additionally, as I entered my tumultuous puberty years, I found myself unable to relate to the majority of people I saw at church, whose physical features were so different from mine, whose foods were so different from mine, and whose customs and traditions were so different from mine. I feared that these differences were a reflection of something I had to fix on my part, and soon I became exhausted of trying to be like everybody else, so I gave up on going to church altogether. In the meantime, Billy Sue never gave up on me. I still went over to her house frequently and let her pamper me with home-cooked Southern comfort food. She would constantly tell me that God had a plan for me, and I would nod my head in agreement without actually believing it. I believed I had a plan for me, and I had great aspirations of running away and starting anew in college in upstate New York, over a thousand miles away from the home I grew up in. I imagined leaving behind all my loneliness, resentment, and guilt, unacknowledged back in Texas. I loved college in Ithaca and all the freedom that came with it. In a great twist of irony, I even joined a Christian fellowship in my freshman year, primarily to meet new people. Once a week, I went to small group, read scripture with the others, recited cookie cutter answers about exploring my faith, and then went back to my dorm and didn't think about God at all for the rest of the week. Then in the summer after my freshman year of college, my dad passed away. I knew the moment I picked up the phone what my mom was calling to say. My dad had suffered two strokes back to back when I was in middle school, and I had watched his body and cognitive function deteriorate for years. And yet I was still painfully unprepared for having to bury him and for the loneliness, grief, and depression that followed. Every day for months, I remembered how on multiple occasions in high school, I had thought how liberating it'd be if my dad just died how much easier it'd be not to have to see him turn into someone completely unrecognizable. I remembered wanting the relief of his death, only to now loathe myself for ever thinking that way. In reality, with his death came only heartbreak and devastation, not relief. I left fellowship for the same reason I stopped going to church back in Texas, because the people around me were always put together and always had the same correct answers. And all I felt after my dad passed away was that I had no answers, only doubt and more brokenness. Now when I look back, I wonder if it was actually me who was trying to stay put together and have all the right answers, because I wasn't yet brave enough to voice my doubt and brokenness. I remember there was an upperclassman from the fellowship who tried to keep in touch with me even after I stopped going to small group. She would often ask about my parents and my life back in Texas, and I would always talk about my dad in the present tense saying things like, my mom and dad want me to visit home for Thanksgiving. That was the extent I would go to so that I wouldn't have to acknowledge, out loud or even just to myself, that I had lost someone who mattered to me. But as dishonest as I was on the outside, on the inside, the feeling of being fatherless was breaking me. I have always loved reading, and I have always turned to books for light in the dark moments of my life. Facing the world and facing other people was always scary, but books never were. If I came across words that made me feel different and alone, I could just put the book back down. If I came across words that made me feel uncomfortable, 
I could just digest them more slowly, at my own pace. After my dad passed away, I ran away from the Christian fellowship I had been a part of, but I found myself still strangely curious about God and about why people continued to believe in him in spite of all the brokenness in this world he had supposedly created. So I began to read what other people had written about God, and it was in books where I learned once more about Jesus, about his 33 years of sacrifice as a mere man in this broken world, and about his promises to us. I learned about a Jesus who wept as Mary and Martha wept, who commanded the adulterous woman to leave her life of sin, but refrained from punishing her with stones, who never gave up on Peter, even after he denied Jesus three times. For someone who has spent most of her life hiding and denying and running away, like Jonah did in the Old Testament and Peter did in the New Testament, I often cried at the thought of a Jesus who was still willing to have a relationship with me and to love me. Philip Yancey, who became one of my favorite writers during this time, wrote a lot about how Jesus was, in reality, quite the misfit during his time on earth. He was someone who never compromised his righteousness, even if it meant going against the current of everybody else around him. Even when tempted beyond what any of us can imagine, Jesus refused power and dominance, and instead held fast to love, humility, and faithfulness to the Father's will. I thought about how much I constantly tried to be the best version of myself, only to end up defaulting to my worst. I thought about the people who loved me and supported me through my grief, but still weren't able to make me whole again. I realized that if anyone were to make me whole again, it'd have to be someone greater than myself and anyone I'd ever known. It'd have to be someone like Jesus. I went on a lot, a lot of walks at night in college to think about all these things. There was this one spot on campus atop a steep hill where I liked to pace back and forth with my thoughts. At night, it was especially beautiful there. The lights from the view of the town below almost looked like stars. One night on one of my walks, I thought about whether all my reading about God was adding up to anything. I realized that none of it mattered, even if it was comforting, if I didn't surrender all of myself to him. Suddenly, I was reminded of Jesus right before he died on the cross, when he cried out to the Father, Why have you forsaken me? in an honest expression of his doubt and fear. But then he still submitted, he died, and he carried out his sacrifice as he had always promised to. He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification, Romans 4.25. I couldn't fathom the burdens Jesus carried on the cross, nor the true humility and trust he must have had to give himself up fully in order to redeem a world that still might not accept redemption. I wanted so badly to receive Jesus' gift, to surrender myself completely to him and trust that on the other side was grace beyond understanding. So that night on that hill, I did. After that, I kept reading, and the more I read, the more something nagged at me to return to church and community. I must have read the line, you can't do faith alone, like a thousand times. So after I graduated college and moved to the city, I started praying to God to send me a community that would be different from the Baptist church at home and different from the college fellowship that would have room for my brokenness. That's when I stumbled upon 180. And just as I had asked for, the people in this community were incredibly honest and vulnerable and sincere. So much so that even though I had prayed for it, 
I was a little taken aback <laughs> and even uncomfortable. <laughs> but I became accustomed to it, and I entered what I now think of as my honeymoon phase here at 180, during which I listened and empathized and laughed and cried as other people shared so much of themselves and their stories with me, while I stayed comfortably tucked away and shared little of myself in return. I thought I could continue like that forever. To no one's surprise but my own, I eventually hit a brick wall. It was as if all the parts of my story that I was ashamed or afraid of were suddenly and violently refusing to stay unaddressed any longer. Christians love to talk about mountains and valleys, so in the spirit of that analogy, I'll say that it felt like I had been climbing a mountain towards God, and I had just reached a point where the only course I could take to keep climbing up was this tiny rock that I had to use as a foothold. I could either trust that the rock would hold my weight or I would have to go back down the mountain and run away yet again. There's something I read when I started seeking God again in college, written by Philip Yancey, and it goes like this. You might say that faith means taking a vow, for better or worse, in sickness and health, to love God and cling to God no matter what. Faith means believing God has taken that same vow, and Jesus Christ offers the proof. God does not accept me conditionally on the basis of performance. God keeps the vow regardless, and therein lies grace. I think about that almost every day. It reminds me that it doesn't matter how strong of a climber I am or how expertly I can navigate around the mountain. All that ever mattered was that God promised to hold my weight and to support any step that brought me closer to him. So I believed in that promise and started sharing a little bit more with people at 180 about who I really was, about what and whom I had lost, about what I struggled with and was afraid of, about my mistakes and shame, and about how much I needed God. And I realized that when I had prayed to God to send me an honest community, he had actually answered that prayer by slowly transforming me into someone who could receive honesty and give it to others in return. Over the years, I've heard a lot of people talk about their big moment of coming to Christ. And even now, I sometimes feel envious and wish I had some grand obvious moment that changed my life in grand obvious ways. In reality, every morning I have to make the grueling deliberate choice to surrender to God once more. And every change God has made in my life has taken a lot of time and struggle. But like we all sang at retreat a couple of years ago, the hills are alive with the sound of music. And now that I've heard the sound of music coming from the top of the mountain, I know I never want to stop climbing towards it. Thank you. Her letter sounded a lot like Philip Yancey, actually. <laughs> Let's, um, Josh, you're going to go first. Come up here, right to this X. His brother will pray. Yeah. You were already baptized, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, not yet. Josh, all you have to say is I do, okay? Like a map, like a letter. Yes, yes, exactly. But I'm preaching that. No. Okay, Josh. Do you know that you are God's child through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? I do. I do. Is it your earnest desire to follow Christ in death to self and walk with him in the newness of life? 
do you hereby renounce and reject the kingdom of darkness, Satan and all his work with all his pomp and pride? Joshua, my brother in Christ, upon your confession of faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, by this step of obedience to Him in this ordinance, expressing your desire to follow Him in death to self, to walk with, walk with Him in the newness of life, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son. I'm tempted to dump this on you. Man. You're my brother. So. And the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's give him a clap offering. All right, get the mic for Nathan to pray. You can, oh, you got the mic? Okay. Nathan, you can pray for him. Father, I just want to thank you for the opportunity to see Josh um, dedicate his life to Christ and to see the beginning of his faith journey. Um, ultimately, Josh will go through so many things in life as he's only nine years old. But to see him have such a joyful personality and to wake up every day and see him and him remind me of the childlike heart and how to be free and how to be loving. Um, I'm truly grateful for that and I'm grateful to see him grow up and to see him here today giving his life to you, Lord. Um, so we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 And uh, can we have John, small group, just come and lay your hands on him, whoever it is. And Kago, you will pray. Kago, we did this with you a while back. <laughs> now it's your turn to get revenge. Just say, I do. Do you know that you are God's child through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Is it your earnest desire to follow Christ in death to self and to walk with him in the newness of life? I do. do you hereby renounce and reject the kingdom of darkness, Satan and all his work with all his pomp and pride? I do. John, upon your confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior and by the step of obedience to him in this ordinance and sacrament, expressing your desire to follow him in death to self and to walk with him in the newness of life. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's keep clapping. Here you go. Um, Father, I just want to pray for John Wang, River Explorer Extraordinaire. <laughs> Um, God, thank you for the, thank you for the courage and the boldness you gave him today to to share his story, Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, Lord, we know that you are writing a story in all of us, uh, and Lord, we are so blessed to hear his story today. Um, we we just want to just thank everybody who came out to see and celebrate uh, John Wang today. Um, we. We, we, we love hearing John Wang talk. We, Lord, we need more, more of John Wang's uh, talking, Lord. Uh, so we want to encourage him. We want to encourage him to be able to share. And Lord, it was so powerful to hear him uh, say that he needs, he needs and wants a community where he can be honest and, and be accepted, Lord. So 
we pray for that. And Lord, um, we, we pray and thank you for this community who can um, like really help shape and mold and uh, follow Christ in, 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 in as a community, Lord. Um, and so Lord, we, we encourage and, and celebrate today his path um, as a Christian to follow you, Lord. Um, and we continue for your continual guidance in this, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Proceed. Just I do. Christina, do you know you are God's child through faith in Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Is it your earnest desire to follow Christ in death to self and to walk with Him in the newness of life? Do you hereby renounce and reject the kingdom of darkness, Satan, and all his work with all his pomp and pride? We can't do this without water, Dana. <laughs> Christina, upon your confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as your personal Savior, and by the step of obedience to him in this ordinance and sacrament, expressing your desire to follow him in death to self and to walk with him in the newness of life, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we just pray for Christina. We're so thankful for her and um I think just like Billy Sue had said to Christina, God has a plan for her. And I don't know, I was just so touched by her story. And um, Christina has taught me a lot about honesty through her years here. We're very thankful for her. Um, and just like Christina said, um, faith is a long journey. And this is a choice we make actively every day. Um, and God, we know you're here with us. And we know that <laughs> um, God, I just want to say that um, that you are Christina's father. Amen. Um, and that you love her dearly. And that we, we are just so thankful to have her here with us and to share such a powerful story. Her story. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. just going to sing one last song as a prayer as we conclude our baptism service. Whether you're close, far, or somewhere in between in your faith, remember doubt is part of the process. Faith is not opposed to doubt. It's actually part of the process. Brokenness is a prerequisite to come to the cross. A church is beautiful when it becomes shameless about their brokenness.
because Christ's power is made perfect in weakness, not in strength. We must eliminate any ambiguity who the hero is in the story. The Bible tells one story, Jesus the hero. Everybody else, get the hell out of the way. <laughs> Jesus said, everyone who has come before me are thieves and robbers. Every minister has fallen short the glory of God. Jesus has not. People ask me, I want to come to your church. I go, no, don't. I want to see what you guys do. What do you do? How do you lead these people to Christ? I have no idea. We try to be mere Christian as possible. Follow mere Jesus as possible. We're just a broken mess. But the community is beautiful because we have learned to become shameless and allow the power of Christ to manifest in our community. So let's think about the Lord, and we're going to conclude. When I think about the Lord, I ask everyone to rise. Will you lift your hands? Let's make this. Let's make this our prayer. How He fills me with the Holy Ghost. How He fills me with the Holy Ghost. How He heals me with the uttermost. Pick me and up, turn me around, turn me around, yeah. Send my feet on solid ground. On solid ground. Yes, you want to shout. You want to shout. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you're worthy. Lord, you're worthy of all. In all the honor, in all the praise, all the praise. Let's give the Lord a clap offering to the Lord. That's why I'm praying for greater diversity because our clapping is weak. God's going to do it. But thank you for joining us today. Far, close, or somewhere in between seeing this beautiful moment of broken people, real people with real faith, finding a real God. Will you bow your heads for the benediction? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. All God's people say, Amen. Amen. God bless you. May the shalom of God be with you. Amen. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Janice. I'm one of the members here at 180 Church, and I have some community news to be sharing with you all. Um, first, we have tithes and offering. We have multiple ways that you can tithe. Um, you can send in your tithes using QuickPay, PayPal, Venmo, and Zelle. And of course, you can also give tithes in person at the info desk outside service next to the stairs. Um, remember, if you are a member, please continue to keep God at the center of your finances and to tithe faithfully. This is a personal discipline that helps remind us that everything we have is His, and it also helps us continue the mission of the church. Um, if you are a guest or a visitor, there is no pressure to tithe, but you're more than welcome to if you feel led. Next, we have Bible Reading Group. 
Um, this is a resource for anyone who wants to read the Bible. This is a great way to keep God's word in our everyday and to armor ourselves with God's truths. So if you're interested, uh, follow brg.tumblr to get your daily dose of scripture with a chapter a day. Um, next, we have prayer hotline. Um, this is a place for those who need prayer or those who don't want to pray alone. It can be for you or the lives of those that you care about. You can text 5397-PRAYER and know that there will be a team praying for you on the other end. You can also email to prayer at 180church.tv. Um, and just so you know, you're never alone, so please use this as a resource. And also feel free to use the hotline to share God's answers and to celebrate as well. Next, we have small groups. Um, this is a great way to process what you hear on Sundays with brothers and sisters along the journey of faith. We know that no one is meant to do faith alone and small groups hasn't been, has been an amazing way for um, us to know that we're all in this together. It's also a great way to get to know one another, go deeper with one another, and to reflect on the past sermon to see how we can apply it to our daily lives. Um, so if you're interested, the adult groups meet uh, Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. The young adult group meets Thursdays at 7.30 p.m. And the college fellowship meets Mondays at 7.30 p.m. And if you need any additional info, please contact me or any of the greeters you see in blue. Next, we have social media. We are very active on social media through all of the following media outlets that you see. Um, from Instagram to Facebook to Dr. Sammy's Twitter page and even our YouTube page, there are multiple ways uh, for you to share the message with your friends and family and to stay connected in the community. Next, we have children's ministry. Um, so we are looking for volunteers in the children's ministry. It's a growing part of our church as more kids are coming uh, and growing up. And I may be biased, but they are adorable. Um, and you can see why Jesus loves children. So if you're looking for a way to serve and get back and you have a heart for kids, this is for you. Please see Michelle Son or Pastor Lydia for more details. Next, we have uh, cafe volunteers. We are also looking for volunteers at 180 Cafe where you can grab a cup of coffee before service. Um, no barista skills required. And if you want to serve, literally, and uplift weary bodies with a cup of joe, please see Wendy Lee or Danny O for more details. We have, um, we're also looking for volunteers to greet people as they come to service. You'd be surprised how much a friendly face can impact someone and make them feel welcome. So if you're interested, please see Danny O or Wendy Lee for more details. And lastly, um, starting this year, we are moving all major holidays to remote worship. Um, this will give everyone ample time to travel, spend time with their families, and also um, be in community from anywhere in the world. So uh, just a reminder, next week, Thanksgiving, uh, November 28th weekend will be remote service. Uh, so we will not be meeting here. Um, and the other remote services will be Christmas on uh, December 26th and New Year, January 2nd. So we hope you enjoy this time with family and use this opportunity to invite them and watch service together.